Hello and welcome to the Global Fleet Voices video series produced by Automotive Fleet Magazine. And this video series is designed to put a spotlight on key leaders in multinational fleet management. And today I have the honor to interview Kimberly Fisher, Director of Global Fleet and Travel for NOV Inc. And today we're going to be putting a spotlight on the international focus of her global fleet, its operational dynamics, and the value of continuous education needed to be a world-class fleet manager. So with that, I'd like to thank you, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're quite welcome. I think this is our first interview we've done, so I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Well, let's get started uh, with our discussion, and, and let's start focusing on the international scope of uh, the NOV Inc. fleet. And uh, can you provide an overview of your fleet size and the countries where you operate? So we are, we have probably a fleet of about 5,000 plus globally. We're still learning uh, where some of those are, and we're still learning how some of those countries have functioned. I currently have under my complete management, um, the US, of course, Canada, and the UK. I have dotted lines into Mexico, and we are starting to branch into um, Romania and Russia. And as we sort of branch out, it's been a really interesting process to learn how um, these individual companies or these individual countries have been handling their fleet as a very decentralized. We also know that we have fleet in South America. We probably have about 400 vehicles in South America, four or 500, and it, as well as in Asia Pac as well. Um, so we're just sort of learning and, and um, slowly kind of taking it under the global umbrella. This is sort of a new role for our company. And so, you know, we're just sort of slowly going in, trying to include the countries and not sort of jam it down their throat or force it on them, but. Mm -hmm. Which is the right approach, by the way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I talked to a lot of other fleet managers. <laughs> With limitations, <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, so it's been fun. It's been really fun. I've had some great um, champions in our global community from our HR side and even some of the operational people from the U.S. who would like to have a little more consistency globally and mm -hmm. how um, probably more on the reporting side. Um, fleets in Europe are, are we're learning a little bit different than the U.S. clearly. But from a reporting perspective, how can we sort of synergize that and get some consistency in how we're reporting on our fleet? Yeah, you mentioned new things uh, involving your company. One of the new things is the name change. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to recognize you still. They're going to probably think, oh, Kimberly, did she change positions? But it's one and the same. So yep. it used to be uh, National. Nash Go ahead. National Oil Fargo. And this year we did a name change to just brand ourselves as NOV in the industry. Um, and that's a global branding that we're doing. So we just use the initials NOV and National Oil Well Barco is really the conglomerate of multiple companies, but National Oil Well and Barco were the two primary companies that merged, I think back in 2006, so a little before my time with the company, but those were the two largest pieces that sort of came together. And so they merged the name, um, but NOV is definitely a company that grows by acquisition. So I don't want to leave any of our other little, our other partners out, but there's a lot of companies that mm -hmm. have sort of um, merged into one to form who we are today. And we have about a, a little over 100 year existency um, as a company. So that's been sort of nice as well. Very good. Well, you know, one of the commonalities among all of these different areas that you're operating in is this whole idea of uh, upending. Because of the nature of your business, you're an energy company. Uh, you know, it requires specialized auxiliary equipment mounted on vehicles. And, um, and 
the real hard part for a fleet manager that's operating that type of fleet is your, your businesses are dynamic, they're fluid, they're changing. And how do you ensure that the upfitting solutions you choose now are going to still be current to fulfill the fleet application years from now? And also, uh, you know, another factor is, is maximizing the life of um, your upfits, you know, beyond the chassis. And, and I think you've adopted a, a good strategy on that. And I was wondering if you might explain to the viewers um, what you do. Sure. One of the things that we, um, one of the things that we're learning and, and trying to put into practice across the board is to take a look at our upfitting where we have standard upfitting in a specific division that may not be the same as the next division, but we went for almost 15 years with one of our divisions without changing their upfitting at all. The problem is their business had significantly changed. So the upfitting that we were continuing to buy for them no longer really met the needs of the business and how our techs who were going out to rigs to service customers um, were performing business and it was taking longer times because they couldn't carry as much. And so about two years ago, we started a process, I guess actually three years ago, we started a process of sort of reviewing that particular upfit and they put it on you know 90% of the vehicles they drive. And um, we've been through now three versions, just kind of tweaking it along the way. And so now we're to the point where we're starting to, um, and, and the other key thing that I have found is it's, it's really important to involve not just the leadership of that business group, but also the people using it. The, That's the critical. Stuff. That's critical. Go they ahead. need to have a voice in it. They need to um, help you understand exactly how they're using this piece of equipment because the truck is essentially their office. So how are they using it? What's gonna make it easier for them? What safety things do we need to remember? So simple things as you're putting up, we, we're putting these service bodies on the back to delete the beds and put these service bodies on the back. So simple things like grab bars when you're trying to climb into the back of it. Mm -hmm. That's a safety precaution. Making sure the steps are big enough to accommodate work boots versus you know a dress shoe that you know you could use a regular running board for, but making sure those steps are big enough and hardy enough to handle a guy who's stepping on that, trying to get something off that truck, so that his work boot's going to sit on it and it's going to be sturdy enough to last doing that, you know, twenty times a day, seven, you know, seven days a week. Yeah, not um, only is it a safety <laughs> issue, it's also an ergonomic issue. You know, the, for productivity. I mean, that gets tiring going up and down, especially you know if the if that step doesn't fully accommodate a boot, you know. Um. Yep. yep, and understanding that not everybody is six feet tall. So um, we have some techs that are a little bit shorter of stature. And when you're getting these 25 or 3,500 size trucks, you're gonna have to also think about having a secondary step to help them from an ergonomics position, exactly what you're saying, of mm -hmm. getting, you know, it's not, their, their leg length isn't as long. So you've got to take all of that in accommodation. And the only way you really do that is to have them involved in the process. But even down to like how the bins are set up inside or, or the side approaches from like the street or the driver's side, all of those things are super important. And so we really spent some time and tested them and put them in the market. And, you know, our first, our first cycle was not a good fit. It didn't, um, it wasn't robust enough. It didn't work for us. This second cycle of service bodies with some minor tweaks, we're really happy with them. Um, what's exciting for us is these are very expensive service bodies. And so um, this year we're starting our first process, our first where we're taking them from one chassis and rolling them to another chassis. 
to extend the life of them. And this makes our second and third, we're, we're actually gonna try to do three cycles. We don't know if in the oil field that will work. Um, we don't know if they'll actually be robust enough to, you know, to last you know, almost seven or eight years. Um, but doing this second cycle will save us $2 million over the next two years, which is, is a, that's a hefty savings for us as a right. company. So we're, we're really excited. We're getting ready to launch our first recycled bodies on the new chassis, um, probably in September. So we're very excited to see how this, because this is new and it's a new thought process for our organization, which has historically considered the body as a throwaway. So after that first chassis is done, we get rid of the body. Um, but we're, we're excited sort of about this change and shift. And if it works, we'll apply it in um, some of our other groups who also use service bodies. Yeah, we'll have to have a follow-up discussion with you to see how that works. Uh, a lot of companies have considered that. So it's, it's a great case study that you'll mm -hmm. be able to provide the industry. You know, you talk about all the changes that are happening, the name change, you know, the change in the new markets that you're going in, but also you, you being in the energy business, I can't think of a business that is changing more. And, uh, you know, you, the, in, in particular, this whole transition towards alternative energies, um, you know, many major companies are moving in that area wholeheartedly. You're more than just making gasoline. You're more than just making diesel. And a lot of people forget that. And um, so I'd like to... Um, maybe dive deeper in that and find out how it's manifesting itself at uh, NOV and how it's impacting the NOV fleet. So we're a little slower to adopt some of the um, alternate energy vehicles. We are going to look at them in the next year um, for sort of our half ton um, fit. Um, it is an interesting conversation for an oil and gas company because our livelihood is tied a lot to actual production of oil and gas. Having said that, there's a lot of byproducts that, that are part of that world of oil and gas. You know, tires, people's yoke pants, things like that that people think about. All the little components, plastic components that go into vehicles. Those are all byproducts of the industry that I'm in. Having said that, we have been around, like I said, over 100 years, and we do recognize that energy is shifting. And if we don't shift with it, we will become obsolete as a company. And so our company does invest in technology and how do we adapt our technology that exists today or our product lines that we're using in the oil and gas in, um, industry. How do we adapt that to use for say wind power or solar? And so we are investing heavily sort of in that technology as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a good time and a good, it's a good, time to sort of introduce sort of an alternate energy option for us. It sort of ties into recognizing that we, we do have to adjust and shift if we want to remain a viable company for the next hundred years, which, you know, is ultimately our leadership's goal. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is just being nimble, you know, going with the changes that are, that are occurring out there. And, and a lot of this, um, you know, you're not alone. You know, you have many uh, peers at other companies that are going through uh, similar types of discussions, um, uh, contemplating similar types of decisions. And um, that's uh, really uh, the value, I think, in the fleet marketplace is that it's actually a value and a weakness. I mean, the weakness is there's not a lot of resources out there for us to be referencing. It's not like we can take a class at a community college or we could go get uh, fleet management 101 or even advanced fleet management. 
that's very, very scarce. And, and really where our true education comes in is on the job, but also more importantly with our peers and with the suppliers that we do business with. So, you know, with that as a background, you know, networking is huge in our industry. Personal relationships is huge. And what is, what, how do you perceive the value of networking with your peers and suppliers in, in identifying best practices in different global regions? Like you mentioned, you're in Romania. I had no idea you were in Romania. And, you know, what are the venues that are available to you as, as a multinational global fleet manager to, to network with peers? What works for you? So I love the personal networking. Um, I have developed over, I mean, I've been doing fleet management for 20 years now. So I do have this extensive network of fleet managers that you can sort of tap. And I, the thing that I love about the industry that we're in from a fleet perspective is people are so generous when you ask a question. Um, I have found throughout my entire career that if you reach out to fleet managers, and I have a group that, you know, I will send out an email to and say, hey, how are y'all viewing this? Or how are you handling this within your own fleet? And they're not in the same industries I am, but there's overlap, right? So if you're a service fleet, there's going to be a lot of overlap with my fleet, regardless of what industry you're in. And I have found that in my career invaluable. I also find it um, the, the seminars or the conferences that fleet puts out because there's such a stress, whether it's the global fleet or whether it's NAFA or whether it's AFLA or some of the other ones that I'm just learning about in Europe, there's such an educational aspect to it. And again, the people that are speaking at those conferences, whether they're from a vendor or even like risk management, sometimes they'll have attorneys come in and talk about um, some of the risk management challenges that we face, and those differ from country to country. Mm -hmm. So learning that kind of aspect, I have found those invaluable to attend, and I and I typically try to go to as many educational um, sessions as I can, but also developing the relationship with fellow fleet managers, regardless of the industry that they're in, they will provide you with invaluable um, information and also just also sometimes point you in the right direction. Like here's an article that I found. Here's a you know whatever the issue is. There again, this is such a generous community with with um, information and helping you learn your job. Because to your point, nobody goes to school for fleet. <laughs> like you, you, you most of it's on the job, and so and there there are some great um, you know Afflux got the CAFM and. NAFA's now got their master's, uh, or not NAFA, AFLA's got their master's program now. And I, I just think there are so many opportunities that if you're willing to spend the time, you will, you know, you've got lots of opportunity to learn and to grow. And I do think it's really important, and I've always felt this with education within this, this fleet world, that you, you have to be ready to learn all the time. You can't get stuck in a rut and say, this is how we've always done it because there may be something new and innovative that will make your job easier, that will save your company money and be more efficient for your teams. And so I just think that you've got to always be open to learn and never think that you're at the top of your game and that you don't have anything else to learn. I've always told people, if you don't think you have anything more to learn in your job, it's probably time for you to find a new job. Right, that's where complacency sets in. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're all overworked. You know, when, when you look at the fleet profession, I mean, it's very easy to spend your, <laughs> Uh, eight to five, eight to six hours, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, behind the desk or out in the field talking with people and 
really getting uh, into the minutia of your own organization. But you, as you say, you've got to make the time to reach out and find those uh, other peers, that networking, those relationships with suppliers, because that's invaluable. That's where it extends your reach beyond just your own company. But the key thing is you got to make the time for it. But you know, right. un unfortunately, we're going to have to pick up that uh, that um, uh, thread right there in a future conversation because we've reached our allotted time and it's gone by very quickly. But I enjoyed it. It was a great first interview. We'll have to do a follow up one, Kimberly. And I'd like to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was great fun.